Hello, inner circle of patrons. This is the BungaCast Reading Club. It's the end of April, and that means that it's part four of Emergency Politics and Control, which itself is the first section of the 2022 syllabus. Um, so just to remind you, we first we began the year by looking at Carl Schmidt on sovereignty and exception, then Agamben also on uh, the politics of exception. And in the last one, in March's Reading Club, we looked at fear, uh, looking at Corey Robin's account of that. Today we'll be looking at uh, another account of fear. This is fear part two. Um, that'll be the end of that after that. No more fear. Um, it's uh, an account by Frank Ferrady. Um, before we get on to that and I pass on to Phil, um, he'll be leading this. We'll take your questions from the last reading club um, on the uh, Corey Robin one. So uh, firstly, Nick Johnson commented that uh, we discussed we discussed the frontispiece of Leviathan, of Hobbes's Leviathan, but neglected to mention that it's a picture of a town under quarantine for plague, which I found kind of interesting and I wasn't aware of. Um, Nick referenced an LRB piece uh, about this. Phil, you read it. Yeah, I read it when it came out and it's a good catch by by Nick um, because we had omitted to talk about it. I mean, it's a recent kind of um, notice i suppose of um hobbes scholarship that was um you know seemed topical in the circumstances of in the circumstances of the pandemic i don't think i mean i don't think it would change my assessment of the point um because the argument with respect to hobbes and you know the role that fear plays was the way you can you know the way you can view it as fear as inducing kind of as the basis for totalitarian political control and that kind of crude understanding of Hobbes's model or the more I think the kind of the better understanding and the one that's closer to Hobbes's original intention is the idea that the you contract out of the state of nature in order to emancipate yourself from fear essentially or at least from the perpetual kind of um, insecurity of the state of nature and that fear plays a rational role in this but it isn't um, a conspiracy in order to enhance government power but rather the basis of social order and political life um, and so to that extent, I, you know, I think um, the notion, you know, the plague doctor on the frontispiece is the idea that the state has the capacity to respond to emergency, including outbreaks of disease, and obviously particularly important in the um, early modern period, but um, not the idea that locking us all up is the quintessence you know, kind of putting the nation under house arrest is the kind of quintessence of Habesian order. Mm -hmm. he, he persists in saying Hobbesian. Um, because that's the correct pronunciation. Anyway, as all of our well, listeners no, agree. This is, yes, this is, it too, is. It's too try hard. It's obviously uh, too try hard. Then how would you pronounce it then, given that Hobbesian. his name. Uh, it's not Hobbesian, is it? How can it be Hobbesian, given that there's an E between the B and the S? Hobbes. Hobbesian. Well, anyway, anyway let's not I'm not going to argue about this with on. your unlettered, with you unlettered Philistines. <laughs> okay, so Matthew Black. Um, responded to Phil's question about the bait and switch approach that Corey Robin has in, in uh, his in his book um, and why you would write a book this way. Matthew says, actually, that's ideology critique in the sense that the German ideology is only ostensibly a book about Stirner and actually a book about private property. Um, 
And then he also goes on to say, and guys, jump in if you want to comment on any of this, as to whether workplace fear is really as fundamental an institution as private property, uh, I think it can be argued for the US. Uh, apart from at-will employment, we also have this long history of witch hunts and literature about it. And I think that's I think that's probably right. I think we made that point, or I made that point in the recording that certainly in the US, fear probably predominant to the workplace in a way that in Western Europe, it might be more attenuated at least. Um, I'm still skeptical these kinds of, I think these arguments that try to trade off the kind of European welfare state against the, um, you know, the supposedly more flexible labor market of the US. I just think, I mean, partly it's kind of trucking in caricatures from the 1950s and 60s, but also I just, you know, I still, I'm still, I still not convinced. I still think like that it there are plenty of oppressive things about the workplace that are not characterized by fear, I think. So I yeah. just don't accept the idea that it would be the dominant um you know the dominant attitude or disposition towards the workplace would be fear. Well, this this, this question about, this question of uh, using fear as an explanation or as a way to characterize a whole range of social phenomena, of course, is going to be something that we'll come on to discuss. Um, so maybe we'll put a pin in that. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, as for the German ideology thing, I mean, I take Matthew Black's point. I mean, it's quite flattering to Corey Robin, I suppose. The difference is, though, that the, um, you know, with the Marx's point in the German ideology is to show how all of these different political impositions uh, correspond to different understandings of underlying um, property relations, capitalist social relations, and so on. And that's not exactly the bait and switch structure of Corey Robin's book, um, because he's not suggesting that the different models of fear are just ideological expressions of different kinds of property relations or different kinds of economic structures. Rather, he's saying that there are, you know, that there these are superficial to some extent because they miss the core experience of fear in modern society which is in the workplace rather than attached to the state so i think you know the bait and switch so to speak is of a different character to um to the marxian one in the german ideology so i don't i don't quite accept that okay so um Matthew also goes on in responding to George's point that it's anxiety, not fear, that's always anticlimactic. Fear has a definite object, the bad thing is known, and either it happens or it doesn't, whereas anxiety lacks an object. Um, and I guess I, I assumed that George had made a point about fear being anticlimactic, but, uh, or, or anxiety. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <clears throat> we have very, you know, very good questions, learned listeners, but I have to, uh, I have to disagree. I think fear can still be anticlimactic i mean particularly in hobbes's um understanding of this kind of idea of expected displeasure because it's something that's projected into the future it, it you, you can overestimate how bad something's going to be like i was you know <clears throat> think about a time that you've been uh, afraid of something something a definite object i was i was uh, fearful of giving this um presentation and then it wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be i mean you could argue that there's some sort of anxiety building that up but the I think that's not correct. I think, in fact, there is a, um, <clears throat> and that's important because you can kind of go in between the, the the current and the present and the future in terms of like, what is that displeasure which is going to be anticipated and you can exaggerate it or you can you can play on that. So I think it's important for Hobbes's um, account that, you know, fear is not always a one-to-one -one 
mapping of how of the level of fear with the badness of the of the displeasure and so if it becomes realized it could be less bad than you thought it was going to be well and uh the the next point also from from matthew black before we wrap up these uh listener questions with relation to the previous episode is that the political appeal of hobbes's notion of fear to the present is that it's simple it's just obvious to hobbes that the affects of individuals are conditioned by their government and there's no depth either someone or something is trying to kill you and you should fear it or they're not, and so you're fine. And I think that's kind of interesting because it refers to kind of the thickness of civil society, or, ra- or rather, at that time, the lack of civil, like a lack of thickness to civil society, um, which is rather different to today. In today, in a context in which fear might be kind of free floating and, and passed along through civil society, which, uh, as it happens, is sort of the subject of the book we're discussing today. But just before we get on to that, I want to update you on the local reading clubs. Several of you have already been meeting, uh, discussing the works, getting back to us with questions. Uh, that's people in Dublin and London, uh, in Portland, Oregon, Seattle, and Toronto. Uh, there's a couple of others where there's a group of you we haven't met yet. Again, get in touch if you need help coordinating or anything. That's uh, Chicago, New York, Berlin, Stockholm, uh, and Yorkshire, Northeast England. But there's a whole bunch of other places where people are looking to set up reading clubs where they haven't met anyone uh, locally. So if you're in that region and would like to meet up with fellow listeners, have an opportunity to discuss these works and kind of make it a, uh, a dialogue between us. Uh, there's people in Amsterdam, Groningen, Leipzig, Milan, Munich, Tallinn, Glasgow or Edinburgh, LA, uh, New England, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Vancouver, Winnipeg, Washington, D.C., and Sydney, Australia. So if you're in any of those places, again, get in touch with us, info at bungacast.com, and I'll again be posting that list, which we posted a little while ago, um, with the main contacts for each of the regions. But now uh, I'll hand over to Phil, who's going to take us through this episode. So we, with Corey Robin, um, it was, an, I mean, as we've just been discussing, he tried to in his book he tried to get away from political fear that's associated with the state the paradigm in our recent times at least prior to lockdown being the global war on terror and he suggested obviously that the common everyday experience of fear was the fear in the workplace what he called fear american style and this month we're in a similar kind of move or at least an analogous move not a similar one um frank faraday's book how fear works which is the latest iteration of a series of books that he wrote um, on the sociology of fear, beginning with Culture of Fear, back in which he published back in 1997. And so he too tries to get away from the question of political fear, um, but in a very different way. Um, and as the title suggests of the original book, Culture of Fear, to find fear as a disposition, as an effect, as a predominant outlook as something which is embedded in all sorts of different um, places, not just the workplace. In fact, um, you know, uh, the, the workplace isn't really discussed in any particular detail, but everything from banal lifestyle behavior to media, NGO scaremongering to child rearing to education, as well as the kind of the grand challenges of terrorism, climate change and what have you. So the author is um, an emeritus professor, a sociologist at the University of Kent, um, where I'm currently based. And he was also previously, I mean, no, you know, renowned for being um, the chief theoretician and one of the political leaders of the Revolutionary Communist Party in Britain until it disbanded in the early 1990s. 
and his preoccupation with questions of um, subjectivity, vulnerability, and uh, authority, all of these have been um, the theoretical themes that is developed since the dissolution of um, of the Revolutionary Communist Party and his shift away from more explicitly Marxist themes. And so that's interesting on many levels. I mean, not only because fear, the politics of fear is interesting to us for obvious reasons at the moment, um, but also uh, the attempt to develop new theoretical frameworks that um, go beyond um, the Marxist understandings of class struggle, because understanding how far they succeed or fail, I think, is also an important, um, obviously an important question. And I just want to, before we get stuck into it, um, I wanted to establish, I suppose, something which might not be familiar to all of our listeners from the middle of the 90s, particularly given that I'm the daddy of the pod. And so I remember, I'll remember this better than Alex or George, particularly George. I mean, Alex wasn't in the UK at the time. Um, but the point about the kind of the culture of fear or um, in scare quotes of the mid 90s, I think it was a very real thing in a way that's difficult to appreciate looking back. Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash We'd love to have you.